Connect. Only connect, writes the British author Ian Forster. He gives that voice through one of his characters in the novel Howard's End. Only connect. That was the whole of her sermon. Only connect the prose and the passion, and both will be exalted, and human love will be seen at its height. Live in fragments no longer. Only connect. Through his character, Margaret Schlegel, Forster gives voice to his greatest concern that we human beings would, in fact, get past our biases and self-imposed limits, the categories of class and gender, and that we would truly communicate. Now, he was a white middle upper class man in Britain in the early 1900s and was also as much part of the system of separation and oppression as anything as he was advocating against. At the same time, Forster is not wrong. In two words, he names our deep desire and our need as human beings. Connect, only connect. For this month, we begin our reflection on cultivating relationship. And I was thinking about as we were beginning this, in this moment, to go back to the beginning, back to where relationships are born. What is the context? Where do they come from? Those ones in particular that add into our lives, that fill us up. Now, for many of us, that would be family, um, the ones that we have inherited along the way, the ones that have embraced us and nurtured us and been there through so many of the seasons of our lives, but there was always a beginning in the relationship with family. But, but of course, there's so much more, and of course, family is complicated by itself, but there's so much more in terms of our relationships. There are, I'd say, exponentially as many ways to begin relationship, the ones that are meaningful and, and, and restorative in our lives, uh, probably exponential compared to the people in the world. So I wanted to open up the question and kind of tap into our collective experience. So I put out, uh, as we do these days, I put out a query on Facebook and into our internal email group at the church. And this is, of course, totally anecdotal and entirely unscientific. <laughs> Just so you know. But what showed up? And I will say there was indeed variety. Of course, many people spoke about family, spoke about having the children in, that had came, come into lives that had borne them, that had welcomed them, that had nurtured them. There were some unexpected, uh, I think, survival stories, too. There was the surprise pregnancy. Oh, look, that's happening. Okay. Or the child that endured through health problems and still was able to add into the people in that circle of that family. There were grandchildren. I think, I think uh, based on kind of some of my, my, my own mothers and regarding her 
grandchildren. I think there's kind of, grandchildren, I think, is a, an opportunity for kind of bonus life. Um, you get bonus people in lives because of the access to grandchildren and how that can have unique relationships um, that are fostered across generations and finding kindred spirits along the way. But, of course, there's more. There was the story of college roommates who became fast friends because one person arrived and was willing to deal with a whole room full of crickets that was freaking out everybody else. So one person arrived and kind of made things right, and that was an, off, an instant bonding moment. There were people that you know, encountered each other and found partners and lives together because they simply overlapped one with another and met and met again and then met enough to say, yes, we do with each other. But there was also some interesting bonding moments, um, bonding over being cautioned against somebody else and then having the courage to say, oh, hey, I was cautioned about you. And the other person said, yeah, I was cautioned about you too, so let's meet and let's be friends. But also connecting over having common backgrounds, the same kind of difficult religious experience in the past. But boy, the friendships really came out in this conversation too. And some of these emerged, have emerged over lifetimes I think uh, one in particular, you know, Judith Corrin Shanahan talked about the poignancy of deep and long friendships that started way back earlier in her life. Um, groups of people finding each other and that as humans do, that, not, that, that people have died along the way. And recognizing so much how our time is limited which makes that desire for connection all the more imperative and the success of it all the more precious. And then there's, of course, becoming family by choice. I think Terry Matthews talks about the person that she's connected with um, and having lunch with each other every Saturday nearly for 48 years. That's family. And lastly, I'll offer an entirely other form of relationship. Um, Carol Manny talking about being a teacher and establishing her class as a safe space and how some of those relationships grew into connections um, during the teaching, but also then lasted beyond and beyond. I wanted to really start with naming what feeds us. So thank you for everybody who's naming kind of what has fed you in the course of things. You know, there is so much in our world that undermines our ability and options for nourishing, that interferes with acknowledging the humanity in each of us and encourages us to be separate and to be separated and not be trusting. But let's start with what has been sustaining and naming and restoring us. And in that I want to go, I want to go deeper into that need and the struggle about connection uh, with Brene Brown, who's a, a white female researcher and storyteller, 
she sought to quantify connection. And those of us in the adult education program on Thursday night with this congregation enjoyed her talk uh, on the power of vulnerability. Now, Brene Brown has extensive research uh, and background in social work. And she's one of those people, you know, in being with social work, you're working with the squishy and messy in life. But she's one of those people, she will say, who's, who is willing to work with the squishy and messy and then, and then ca categorize it and put it into a bento box for lunch. So wanting to tame the squishy and messy and to measure it. So here's part of what she did. She said, when you ask people, in her research about connection, she said, when you ask people about love, they tell you about heartbreak. And when you ask people about belonging, they'll tell you about their most excruciating experiences of being excluded. And when you ask people about connection, the stories they told were about disconnection, which kind of threw her for a loop. She was like expecting to have like all these great stories and to be quantifying this and here's what connection looks like, here's what love looks like. And then she's like, wait, there's more. What she found was that having love and depth meant taking a risk, being vulnerable, showing your softness and what makes you and what matters to you. But so many people she encountered felt they weren't worthy, that they had an internal sense of shame. Something about them was not okay inside. And so she went on to study shame, and one year became six, and there were stories, and more small groups, and more stories. And she was like, I'm going to figure this out. She went deeper into her research and found that the great difference between those who have a sense of, a strong sense of love and belonging, and those who don't, is, is wrapped up in that sense of shame. But those who really have this strong sense of love and belonging tend to be those who are willing to take a risk, willing to go first in saying, I love you, willing to be vulnerable in reaching out and saying, hey, let's go to coffee, willing to act from courage, the strength of the heart. Now, I will offer that that she, she quantified it as kind of these people tend to have this and these people tend to have this. And I will say with my experience as a minister, neither of those are fixed states. That those of us who are, you know, can visibly, might, in her research, might have offered love and risk and willingness to, to connect and belong. And those of us who are having a harder time with extending ourselves and making that connection. I mean, she kind of divided people into two categories, but I'm going to say that that's, it's, it's not that simple. That there are some moments, I'm going to say, I don't think it's just me, but I think there's some moments when I'm great at being willing and feeling like, yes, I'm going to, make, I'm going to take a step, I'm going to make a risk out there, and I'm going to extend myself for the sake of love and connection. And at the same time, the next day, I might say, uh-uh, 
that I'm not feeling I want to make that extension and that connection. It's not that you have two groups of people. It could be any day and any hour, frankly, that we switch. But the more that we can find a way to say yes, to say I care, to extend the self, the more likely we're to grow that, the more likely we might feel more worthy on a day when we don't really feel worthy. One of our great tasks in, as human beings and certainly in congregations in Unitarian Universalism is to be cultivating a love that adds to what we already have. I'm going to make a leap and say that those of us who are here, connected to the congregation in person, online, in all the ways, have already done some extension, have said, I need and I'm going to find a place and a people and a message and have already shown up. You're kind of self-selected, right? You're pre-screened, pre-approved for the credit card, if you will. We're here. But I also know that on every given day, we may or may not feel loved, lovable, worthy, or worthwhile. And then, of course, we also need to make room for people who feel even less worthy. So our task is to keep cultivating, is to keep nurturing and growing, even whether or not we feel worthy, but to know that the value of it is something. It makes a difference. And so we tap back into the memory, the experience of those relationships that strengthen us already, where we begin, and keep jumping from those out into the world, being willing to extend ourselves out again. That we only connect and live in fragments, well, as little as possible. And we do this for ourselves and for our children and for those who come into the door, but also for a larger cause and a larger purpose that we fight for ourselves and others too, even when the struggle is long because that worthiness, that, that appreciation, that respect, it's not just for our comfort, but we bring it out and say there's a larger message that the world needs to hear as well. You know, yesterday, there were solidarity rallies and marches across the country on behalf of reproductive rights, on the right of people to be able to make their choices about their health and their bodies. And Peoria Proud, one of our local organizers in support of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, and asexual, and more community, hosted our own Yes for Choice rally yesterday afternoon to bring awareness of the need for people to have access to abortion services in particular 
in response to the new law in Texas that cuts off access to abortion after six weeks. Oh, it's been just about six weeks since that law went into effect, right? So we're here in the struggle, and some of us are here in the struggle thinking, I've already done this struggle. I've already done this struggle, right? The UUA, our association, sent out a reminder that was helpful to me, which was, some things are always worth fighting for. And this is one of those values that are always worth fighting for. And this is an expression of love, an extension of the self, to stay in the effort and the advocacy. As Marie, Adrienne Marie Brown reminds us, when we are engaged, we are at our best and most resilient. When we are engaged, we are at our best and most resilient. If we could center love as the practice of a new generation of organizers and spiritual leaders, she said, it would have an impact. It would increase our resilience, not with a goal of winning, but with liberation for all of us. To keep saying, it's not just some people are worthy, not just some people get to be loved, but all of us are in it together. Simply by saying yes to relationship, we shift the frame. We run counter to the culture of separation and the pitting of each other against one another. And we start with recognizing the health and the love and the care we already have around us and within us. And that we take up all of the fragments of our lives and keep preparing the ground for more love to be cultivated Cherish the ways that we find each other and all the ways they begin. Create a place of welcome and wholeheartedness, reinforcing what is already here and preparing the space for those who need it more deeply. Let us go forth, caring for ourselves, caring for others, and raising a new generation of leaders centered in love that is fierce and liberating and universal. Let us go forth. Amen.